millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to another episode of Deconstructive Criticism. I'm your host Aaron Flam and today we'll be discussing ayahuasca with Jordi Riba, one of the foremost experts in the field. Before we begin, I would like to urge you to become a patron on Patreon. As a reward, I will make a bootleg of my latest show available to patrons only within a month. So if you want to listen to my latest show, aptly named Aaron Flam on Stage, Become a patron within a month and pledge at least 10 US dollars and you'll get exclusive access to this fantastic reward. You, who are already patrons, will get this reward regardless. Now, without further ado, Jordi Riba. Discuss is uh, so interesting that I have a very hard time believing that anyone would be bored. <laughs> So, I'll just fix this. So, is it correctly placed? Can you hear me okay from there? I hope so. I'm a very poor sound technician. I'm a fairly okay comedian. Okay, and when, yeah. you, s- when you speak uh, with your headphones on, can you hear yourself? Uh, I can hear you better than uh, okay. and myself better than normal people. I can have it like this if you want it to look like... It's a normal conversation. Okay, but uh, you also get uh, your own voice through the microphone and uh, into the headphones. Yes, absolutely. Okay. But you you can keep them on. It's it's fine for me. I ju- was just asking about the technical. Yeah, yeah, no. These are completely new. They were bought because my listeners got really tired of uh, uh, adjusting the sound between each speaker in the podcast. So mm. uh, uh, hopefully, this will resolve the matter. Okay. Uh, but the, as I said earlier, they all seem to be audiophiles. Um, so, so uh, um, am I inaugurating the new technology yes, that you brought are. into your program? <laughs> okay, I'm glad. So, welcome to the constructive criticism, Jordi Riba. 
Okay, uh, thank you. You're a scientist. Yes. And a pharmacologist. Yeah. And a specialist in ayahuasca. Yes, that's it. Uh, and ayahuasca is what? Ayahuasca is a psychoactive beverage. And uh, I don't know if you want me to extend on I do want what it to is. Extend. Yes. Uh, well, it's been the object of my research for 20 years. Uh, it originates in the Amazon. It's prepared from several plants. And when humans ingest it, they get uh, lots of interesting uh, things going on in their minds. And what I try to find out is how this beverage and the active principles that it contains uh, interact with, with the human brain. So in principle, we could say that ayahuasca is basically a tea that you obtain from a vine, from a climbing plant from the Amazon. It's been used by the indigenous people of uh, that region of the of the planet for centuries. And they have uh, revered it and give it, uh, given it uh, spiritual significance. They use it in rituals, in rites of passage. Uh, in 20th century, it became the central sacrament of some Brazilian religions. And uh, I don't think uh, there's uh, any other plant that's capable of doing that. So it left me wondering, and this is why I'm studying it. So uh, have you heard of Syrian rue? Yes. <coughs> it is a plant that has sort of the same properties. It has, uh, it has uh, in different proportions, but it has the same active principles. It has uh, the same, we call in technical terms, alkaloids. And uh, it had been used by ancient civilizations. But uh, what's interesting about ayahuasca is that it's rarely used alone. This climbing plant is, uh, is usually combined with other plants that are also contain psychoactive substances. And the most common combination is with a shrub, with the leaves of a shrub that contains uh, DMT or dimethyltryptamine. So dimethyltryptamine is a psychedelic, similar uh, to psilocybin, to mescaline. And uh, from the pharmacological point of view, ayahuasca is very interesting, or at least this, this variety of ayahuasca, because it combines this DMT, this dimethyltryptamine, with the active principles of the vine that prevent DMT from being degraded when it's taken orally. So if you take a kilogram of DMT alone, you won't get any psychoactive effects. Whereas because it, it breaks down it in the stomach. It breaks down in the stomach, in the, in the gut. We have an enzyme that degrades this. So the, the alkaloids in the Venistriopsis capi vine, in the, in the actual ayahuasca vine, uh, they can prevent this degradation. They inhibit the enzyme. I'm sorry, you have to um, sort of, yeah, maybe have your arms here because it sort of... The, the sound breaks into the microphone. Okay. So, and you've been studying this for 20 years. <coughs> yes. So, uh, can you just quickly, where are you doing your research now? I'm based in, in Barcelona, in a hospital. It's called St. Paul's Hospital in Barcelona. And I, I run a research group there. It's called the Human Neuropsychopharmacology Research Group. And uh, we uh, basically are interested in psychoactive substances. So, and this is a real hospital? Yes, it's a real hospital. And uh, this hospital has a research institute. I'm, I'm uh, a full-time researcher for this research institute that's, that's uh, uh, com completely or closely linked to the, to the hospital. And so, how come you got interested in psychoactive substances? Uh, they always caught my, my attention. Uh, so my, my initial studies were uh, 
uh, in pharmacy. I studied pharmacy. I was very interested in natural products. In uh, I read books about alkaloids, how they interacted with uh, with human physiology. Uh, I always had curiosity. Uh, and what is an alkaloid? If you explain it quickly, an alkaloid is a is a substance that it's uh, synthesized by by the plant. Uh, it's part of its so-called secondary metabolism. It's not necessary for its survival, so it doesn't play a part in 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 uh, the pro- in obtaining energy, for instance, to maintain the plant alive. Uh, so nobody really knows exactly what's the role of these uh, substances, these these alkaloids in plants. But most of them have the peculiarity that they interact with the uh, animal physiology. So some people believe that what they are 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 tools to prevent being uh, being eaten by animals, for instance, because they would interfere with the physiology of the animal. So maybe the animal finds that unpleasant and won't uh, eat that plant anymore. So as a as a defensive strategy, and other people uh, believed more, maybe more mystically inclined, that these alkaloids perhaps uh, are a way uh, in which the plant tries to establish uh, symbiosis, symbiosis with animals, symbiosis maybe with humans. Yes, but that is a. That is a value statement. Yeah. It could be a parasitic relationship as well as a symbiotic relationship. It could be. It could be anything. Nobody really knows what they are there, but um, they were discovered in the in the nineteenth century, and uh, there's hundreds and thousands of them, and uh, usually th- they are very simple molecules. If you if you take into account uh, how our um, biology uh, as, as as primates uh, as humans uh, works, it's very complex. It's it's a soup of of proteins, of enzymes, of phosphorylation, of proteins, dephosphorylation. You have genes being activated, deactivated, etc. And these alkaloids, compared to our, our, our biochemistry, they're really, really simple, but they can induce very powerful effects on how our body uh, functions. And uh, I was especially interested in those alkaloids that could modify how the brain functions. So... We have alkaloids. Why? Did you have like a personal reason to be interested in... Uh... It was intellectual curiosity. So it had... Or a philosophical question. I, I ha- sometimes had these discussions with, uh, uh, with uh, my father, with my... Who's, well, he, he, he is a, he's an engineer, so he, he, uh, he has studied science as well. And um, he had received some, some uh, religious training in school... You know, in back in the 50s, 60s. This was in Spain. In Spain. So or, during the dictatorship. Yes. Basically. Yes. So uh, yeah, they had this religion class in school. So he had certain religious values. Uh, my grandparents were, were very religious. Uh, so I we I sometimes uh, wondered whether we have a soul, for instance. And my view was that we are essentially. Uh, uh, biochemical entities. Yes, but we had these interesting discussions with my father, and uh, one day I was in the in the university li- library, and I came across. Uh, uh, well, I came across. I actually grabbed uh, uh, a book on, on botany because I, I was studying botany, but then, back then ethnobotany. I suppose uh, it's it was botany in general, but I was interested in those well in those plants that actually uh, you could took some you could take some some substances uh, that had uh, pharmacological interest. So and in the introduction of this thick volume, there was the account written by Gordon Wasson yes. of his experiences with, uh, with uh, the, uh, the Mexican mushrooms. 
and the sessions he had with Maria Sabina. And I was so stunned about what he reported that they thought, okay, you have now these alkaloids, they are not very different or even simpler than, let's say, morphine. We've been using morphine for 200 years to, to treat pain. But then you have this other substance that you ingested and it interacts with your, uh, the, the most uh, intimate aspects of, of, your, of your being. It changed the way you see the world. It changed the way you, you feel about yourself. You, uh, you experience uh, thoughts that come as revelations. And these uh, people in Mexico had, uh, had uh, been using this for centuries as a sacrament. It was the center or or millennia. It was the uh, in the like in the center of uh, of their worldview, and I was so surprised about that that it always left like a signature in my brain that 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 might be interesting to to study. So um, I had. But but when you found this text by Watson, you must have dug some more and found more text by Watson. He has, after all, written so much. Yeah, but uh, I was I was in my my. yeah, pre pre doctoral study or yeah no undergraduate uh, studies. So I had a lot uh, to worry about. I have to pass many subjects. So my 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 basic interest was chemistry, chemistry of natural products, uh, especially these uh, alkaloids, alkaloids that interact with uh, with the brain. I had a small lab at home, so I would go uh, around uh, the city, would go to the mountains, etc. I would gather plants. I would do uh, extracts. So I would isolate alkaloids. Just for the fun of it, right? Just for uh, seeing if that could be done. Et How old were you? Uh, well, when I was doing this, I was already in college. I was like. Uh, nine, when when did you start collecting plants and having a lab in your own apartment? Uh, when we moved to this new place, uh, where the, uh, yeah, it was an apartment that had been designed by the pre- the person who was in intending to move in as a as a photography laboratory. So he had already set it up. So. I, would, I had always been interested in chemistry since I was six. I had always played with, you know, these chemistry sets, etc. So we moved in in this apartment. I was 13, I think. So I said, oh, this is going to be my realm, right? So this is my kingdom. So I set up my, my laboratory there. I had my microscope, my everything. And uh, I, I started working on this when I was 13, 14. Then I, I decided... I'm sorry I interrupted yeah. you. I was just... Yeah. So I've always had an inclination for, for science, especially for, for chemistry. My initial idea was to study chemistry, but, but then I, I thought, okay, I'd like to see more of the uh, biological and pharmacological aspects. I never saw myself as a medical doctor, didn't go into, into medicine. I was not interested in repairing humans, right? Like uh, the, someone comes in and has a problem and you uh, diagnose him and you give the remedy for that. I thought that was not very interesting. So I wanted to do research. Uh, Chemistry was the first thought, then I did pharmacy, and after I finished, finished pharmacy, then I started doing uh, some, some po- uh, uh, postgraduate studies in organic uh, synthesis, organic chemistry, indole alkaloids, actually. The, we had a, a de- the organic chemistry department in our faculty was really strong in this field, for, uh, so I was there for two years. So that was already in 1994, something like that. And uh, there was a conference that an anthropologist uh, organized in a town like that's uh, like 100 kilometers from Barcelona. And it was a, a conference on uh, mind-altering substances. And some celebrities in the field, like uh, Jay Scalloway, who had done this study on ayahuasca in, in, in Brazil, was attending. Also Shulgin, 
who had synthesized many active substances, was also attending, and many, many other famous people but, uh, that I didn't know at the, at the time. So I read about this conference in, the, in, the new, in a newspaper, just by chance, uh, after it had taken place. So I was not able to attend. But I, I read who the organizer was. I found uh, uh, his telephone or the telephone of the organization. It was a, a, a research center for anthropology. I phoned there and I asked them if they would publish the, like, uh, yeah, the abstracts of the conference. And he said, yeah, may, this will appear in a book, etc., etc. So we had this nice conversation on the phone. I kept working in this organic chemistry uh, laboratory in the, fac in the faculty doing my, like my graduate thesis. And one day I was doing an errand in the, in the city, in Barcelona, and I was uh, near the place where I remember was this research institute for anthropology. So I went there and then, uh, I asked uh, yeah, the, the guy who took care of all the, the, the building, said, uh, do you know where this institute is? And he said, yeah, it's the, like, I don't know anymore, but the fifth floor, second door, whatever. So I went there and this guy, I, I knocked at the door, this guy opened and uh, he, it was the anthropologist who had organized the meeting. So I said, oh, we spoke on the phone, uh, wanted just to drop by, say hello. He said, okay, he invited me in. And we, I think we spoke for like three hours, something like that. He told me about his research in, in Ecuador. He told me about ayahuasca. He asked me if I wanted to translate into Spanish a, a book by Jonathan Ott called Pharmacotheon. I did that. So that was a, an interesting uh, way of learning about these substances. And he also mentioned that there were uh, these Brazilian groups coming to Barcelona and organizing sessions with an obscure substance called, called ayahuasca. I didn't know what that was. And uh, I said, oh, could I meet some of these people? Introduce me to some of them. And I asked if I could attend these rituals. So I went there, and uh, out of intellectual curiosity, it didn't disappoint me at all, what I saw, what I heard. What Did I you partake, or were you just observing? I partook. I partook. So it was also very interesting. And then I decided... So what did you experience? I wouldn't... wouldn't uh, I experienced... Uh, very uh, intense autobiographic memories, emotional effects, something that was uh, really, really interesting, that was not uh, recreational, and that fit very well with the descriptions that other people had given me. And when you say it's not recreational, you mean this is not a drug one takes for fun? This, this is, is not an Ibiza no. rave party type no. of drug? No, it was interesting because uh, uh, the first time I attended one of these rituals, I was uh, like so excited about going there, and uh, they were uh, they were people in Spain, but they were singing these hymns in in Portuguese, and there was all this uh, ritual going on, people dressed up in fancy dresses and uh, and uh, singing and playing music and dancing and sitting down and now standing up, etc., etc. I paid so much attention to uh, what was going on around me that I didn't experience anything at all. No psychoactive effects. Nothing, no. nothing, nothing. So I was like a bit of disappointed the first time. And uh, I said, okay, maybe I should come some other day and, and try again, maybe. So they were meeting every other week. And the second time I, I, I went, uh, after 45 minutes, after having ingested the ayahuasca, 
I started feeling sleepy. I was yawning. I didn't pay attention anymore to what's, what was going around me because I already knew uh, what the ritual was. So I had this inclination to close my eyes and then everything started. And, uh, and it, was, uh, it was really uh, surprising. It was amazing, stunning. I don't think anyone is, is, is prepared to, for what's going to, to happen. And, uh, if you think you are prepared, you will get a lesson in humility, yeah, usually. Yeah, that's what I got. So, <laughs> it so really... the universe picked you up and told you you know nothing. <laughs> well, I, I, I felt uh, exhausted when, when it was over, really. That was uh, for sure. And my, uh, my uh, like, I don't know... Uh, Surprise, let's say, or my inability to understand what had gone on, uh, matched and surpassed what I had written many years before in this uh, account by by Gordon Wasson. So I was never interested in in nightlife, in recreational drugs. I was never a person who went out and never smoked, drank some alcohol, maybe for fun, but. Uh, I very rapidly got tired of uh, standing uh, in a bar with a glass in my hand trying to interact with someone and not being able because the music is so loud. So I was never a, a, a party party animal. So recreational drug use never interested me. And uh, But this was totally different. So when you talk to people why they were taking ayahuasca, they said, okay, this brings us uh, or brings me some insights into my, my deepest... Uh, uh, personal and emotional issues, and what I experienced uh, in that I, in that second ayahuasca session was exactly that. I revisited the kind of relationship I had with every single person that was meaningful to me, that was that that had a an emotional connection to me, family members, relatives, ex girlfriends, you name it. So you have this substance; it's able to do this to you, and. Uh, uh, all the emotion I had not experienced in my previous 28 years or maybe in the previous 10 when you reach adulthood, I don't know, you don't uh, usually cry much anymore or uh, you don't feel anything emotionally intense anymore. And that simply uh, grabbed me by the neck and I had to experience that in such an intense way that I, I thought, wow, there's, there's something we should... Uh, look into this this deserves being researched and this is when i decided that i wanted to do my 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 phd on ayahuasca it's a, it was like a uh, an open field there had uh, there had been um, very few studies at the time what we knew was the the uh, the botanical uh, uh, ingredients the plants that were being used to prepare it uh, we knew uh, the the alkaloid contents but in 1994-95, nobody had published uh, any paper on it. So the first paper from the, uh, from the OASCA project in which Chase Calloway participated, I think it was published maybe in 1996, something like that. So, so I thought, wow, this is an open field. Uh, why follow the rest of the herd? Let's do something original, something new. That's exactly what a person who'd just taken DMT would say. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, yeah, I had this, this uh, lingering interest for years. Now had, I had this opportunity. I had the context. I had this new 
uh, unstudied or understudied uh, preparation, psychotropic preparation, ayahuasca. I had had these these personal experiences. Uh, it had not disappointed me, disappointed me in the in the least. And I thought, well, maybe we can we can try to set up a, a research effort to to study this. And this is how I got involved in, into all this all this field. That's uh, quite a story. And now you've spent twenty years. Yes. Of your entire, <laughs> I mean, that's the most time I've heard anyone been. Uh, obsessed with drugs without actually <laughs> taking them. Yeah, I have to say that uh, I have I had a few experiences back back then, but when this became the object of my my everyday work, I simply withdrew from the from yes. it. So it's it's twenty years I had I haven't uh, experienced with uh, ayahuasca or uh, any other psychoactives for that matter since since then since then, and I think it was the healthy approach. Um, I don't think you use you lose any objectivity. It was not uh, based on, on on this concern that I, I did that. It was that uh, it wouldn't uh, simply not engulf my entire life. I understand. Because whereas uh, yeah. I think it was Biggie Smalls who put it: never get high off of your own supply, <laughs> except <laughs> etc. Or exactly, yeah, I would yeah. say. Uh, so. Uh, what is your research exactly? What is it you want to find out about these plants? What I want to find about these these plants, ayahuasca was was uh, the way I got into this field. But I I'm interested in other psychoactives. I've done studies with salvinorinae, which yes. is the active principle of uh, salvia divinorum, another plant used by the uh, by the same uh, human group, the Mazatecs in Mexico, that use the psilocybe uh, mushrooms, and I've done studies with. Uh, with, uh, I don't know, with cannabinoids, with psychostimulants. I have collaborations with psychiatry department, neurology department. So I, I have uh, a broad interest in everything that has to do with the brain. But my, my, my pet topic, let's say, has been ayahuasca. And uh, this is perhaps why I've done so many studies with ayahuasca. I think there's something uh, interesting in there, also from the pharmacological point of view, because you have a very complex combination of substances. It's not only one compound. It's not only one psychedelic. It's not only the DMT. And now, for instance, we have done some in vitro studies using the other active principles, and we see that it can also interact with the brain in very, in very interesting uh, ways. So it has kept me busy for, for many years. Because and, uh, the unique thing with ayahuasca, yeah. right, is DMT, since it breaks down in the stomach uh, when taken orally, you have to combine it with uh, an inhibitor for yes. MAO, right? That, that's correct. Yes. yes. So, how do you think the Indian, I mean, the native people of South America, even figured this one out? There's an almost endless supply of different plants. Yeah, it's a it's a complete mystery. But uh, yeah, so so some people say, "Wow, uh, they ha- must be really uh, like ingenious to to have come up with this." combination but the truth is that they have also combined the Banisiopsis uh, capivine with many other plants so this is only one of the hundreds of possible uh, versions of ayahuasca and in some human groups uh, in the Amazon uh, I, the, the the vine the, the tea obtained from the vine uh, can be used without any additives just for purging so there are some rituals that only involve uh, the tea obtained obtained from the Banisteriopsis capi vine with this monoamine oxidase inhibitors. So the, why would they use a plant for 
basically purging for my listeners who doesn't understand is throwing up. Yeah, throwing up, also uh, acceler- accelerating uh, metabolism. Yeah, well, not metabolism, but uh, the transit in your your uh, gastrointestinal tract in the the, the gut. Uh, and uh, one explanation is is to get rid, for instance, of parasites. So okay. there's many of them uh, that you can get. So that in, might in, have been the, the first uh, yeah, discovery that this can help us. Yes, yes, because uh, uh, in the, in the tropical regions of the earth you have uh, many parasites uh, that cause very unpleasant illnesses, and uh, this could be a way of getting rid of these parasites. So that could have been an initial application. Then maybe they started combining it with uh, with other substances. Uh, most of these groups had uh, experiences already with other mind-altering plants like tobacco. Tobacco yeah. is the most widespread mind-altering plant in, 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 in the Amazon and in, in South America. So uh, they already knew what, uh, what a modified state of consciousness is and how to induce it. So maybe they, they, when they came up with this combination of the Banistriopsis capi and the shrub I was mentioning earlier that contains the DMT... Uh, it, they they essentially saw that it was perhaps a more effective way of getting into this spiritual realm. So in their worldview, uh, there's a there's a spiritual realm. This spiritual realm uh, interacts with uh, human affairs. So you can go there and see uh, what the causes of illnesses are. You can find a cure for the diseases that afflict uh, individuals. And uh, for many other uses, it's uh, it's interesting for them to access this this uh, parallel world. So maybe they they finally found this combination, and uh, they, many groups st- stuck to it. So that it must have been by trial and error. We think that uh, humans uh, reached the Americas from Asia. I think it's like ten thousand years ago. So maybe they had plenty of time to experiment. With their, they did with their surroundings. Um, many of these groups have a, a, a very deep knowledge of plants and how they can put it put them to use. For instance, uh, uh, dart poisons that they can use to hunt. This is also obtained from plant from plants. There are other poisons that they are used uh, that they can be used for fishing. They can they can uh, like in a in a sh- in shallow water they can they can create a, like a sort of pond isolate the fish from the rest of the stream they drop the juice of certain plants and these juice uh, stuns the, the fish it doesn't kill them but they, they get stunned and uh, they, they can they can fish them more easily so they have been using plants for for uh, for many many purposes for centuries and uh, this is just one of the plants that they are they are using or one combination they are using it fits well with their with their worldview, and, and you took the ayahuasca, and then you freeze dried it to get pills to be able to do the study in a scientific way. Yes, uh, when I thought that uh, that perhaps we, we sh- uh, it would be interesting to study this, uh, it took us uh, many years before we we actually conducted the first uh, study in humans, and. Uh, in, in of course that that was uh, my first steps in research so I didn't know anything about ayahuasca but also I didn't know anything about research and I didn't know anything about psychopharmacology but, and then you see the methodology that's uh, used in this kind of studies so my mentor 
had a lot of experience in studies in, in healthy volunteers, studies uh, assessing the effects of psychopharmacological agents. And uh, he said, okay, we, if we want to do this, we have to standardize this. This, this is problematic. Do you have here a, a T? So do you want to study the active principles? Because every shaman in the rainforest makes yeah. this tea differently they, and it's different every time because the plants are yeah. harvested at different times. Yeah. And yeah, yeah there's so, so many variables. Yeah, the, the initial question was, should we study the pure compounds or ayahuasca? And as uh, uh, what people were taking was ayahuasca, I wanted to see what the, the effects of ayahuasca on the human physiology, the human brain was, and not, not only the, the active principles. So we decided to go for ayahuasca. But ayahuasca is a tea. It's a very acidic tea. It's a very, it has a very low pH. Uh, this is why it's so irritating when you take it orally. And, uh, and uh, anything, any, any active principles that you, that you have in a tea will get uh, uh, more rapidly degraded in the presence of water than if it's not in the presence of water. So from a, uh, one batch of ayahuasca to another, there's going to be changes in the concentration. And then if you store it for a while, uh, more likely than not, you're going to have less and less uh, amounts of active principles there. So it's going to change from one day to another. So how can you dose this accurately? And this is how we came up, and this took us a long time, uh, with the idea that we would freeze-dry it. So we extract all the water in the, in the solution, in the tea, at very, very low uh, temperature. And what we are left with is what, with everything that's present in the tea except for the water. So then we can measure the uh, active principles in this, in this powder. We can encapsulate this powder and administer it in very... Uh, uh, exact doses and also in this way when you give it encapsulated you prevent this initial irritation of the of the stomach of the gut so it, it becomes more tolerable for the participants it's less unpleasant than taking the the you showed a picture as a lecture last yeah. night of uh, one of the first participants in the study who was yeah. wearing a marijuana t-shirt. <laughs> yes. And he had done ayahuasca before. Yes. And you said uh, he was worried that the spirit of the ayahuasca plant uh, was gone because you'd freeze-dried it. And, uh, and then... Well, of course, he said that uh, joking. Yes. But, you know, there was I this... this uh, but at least now we can scientifically rule out yeah. that the ayahuasca uh, spirit is not made of hydrogen. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Hydrogen plus oxygen. So you can remove safely the water and you will still get uh, psychoactive effects. That's, that's for sure. I can, I can swear <laughs> that this is yes. the case. So what did your first initial study when you started administering these uh, gelatin capsules, yeah. I suppose they are yeah. vegan gelatin? or uh, I go won't get into that. <laughs> I, want to, I don't want to upset anyone. Okay. <laughs> so... Um, uh, and what was this study about? What did you do in this study? So imagine you are in a, in a hospital setting uh, and suddenly you write a protocol and you submit it to the ethics committee and you say you want to give this strange brew from the Amazon to uh, healthy volunteers and this is going to cause psychoactive effects similar to those of uh, psilocybin and other analogous substances. So a schizomimetic, basically. Well, you know, there's so many terms. Uh, you have entheogens, you have hallucinogens, you have psychedelics, uh, schizomimetics, psychodomimetics, uh, fantasticants, mysticomimetics. So everyone uses a different term. And uh, 
I think this is the the uh, uh, the most uh, a clear way to see that we have no clue of what they produce, right? Because if you have a different term for the same thing and you have hundreds of them, it means that you don't know exactly what they what they are causing. So I think this is even more in favor of, of studying these substances. But what would you call them? Uh, I, call it, I'll call, I call them psychedelics. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think it's it's a term I, I like uh, most. I, I know it's uh, it's uh, associated with uh, with uh, maybe. Uh, like uh, recreational drug use in the 1960s. Sometimes hear about psychedelic lights or psychedelic colors. But if you look at what the, the term really means, which is mind-revealing, and I think it's quite appropriate. I think it, it gives you access to, to content that's in your, in your mind, and you access it in a, in a way that you cannot, uh, you cannot uh, elude it. And it's you, uh, more scientific than entheogen. Well, entheogen causing... Uh, the God within. Well, if you don't believe in uh, in gods, then perhaps it's not for you. It has these religious overtones. Yeah. So, in some group, some groups use it for religious purposes, but other. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices. Down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. People uh, might not have this view. So it was, uh, I think it was the, 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 the term I, I'm more comfortable with. I must say that in the, in the scientific literature, the most frequent term is hallucinogen. But uh, I think it has negative connotations. So also maybe, not entirely correct. Yeah, because you, you don't really uh, have uh, real hallucinations. Uh, hallucinations, alterations with eyes opened. It, it's more similar. Uh, the visions you might have with the substances, it's, it's more similar to what you get in, in dreams. So there's also this term oneirogens, which means the uh, uh, substances that generate dreams, oneirogens. But uh, it's, it's like... Uh, it's a beautiful uh, word. Yeah, but uh, as, uh, I think not many people would understand what you are referring to because it's not so... So we'll so, stick so to mind-revealing then. So mind-revealing, but uh, yeah, dream-creating is, is also nice, I think. So... In a way, you are making people uh, dream while they are awake when you give them these substances or when one takes this, these substances. And uh, if when you see that uh, or when you think that uh, when you get into science, you are on a quest for knowledge, you want to satisfy your, your curiosity, in a way you, you, you want to uh, make your own dream come true, which is being perhaps a little more wise after some years of doing uh, research. So this is also appealing to me, substances that, that make you dream. 
because I, I already daydream without any substances. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gotten into research in the in the first place, right? So, yeah, this is what what we what we call them, and uh, mind revealing. I think is is quite it reflects quite well what most people report experiencing at least after taking ayahuasca. I'm sorry I interrupted you. Yeah. You were talking about the first study. Yeah, in the first study, yeah, I said that uh, they would have been a little bit shocked, the, the ethics committee, but uh, but they, we had all this experience of previous studies with lots of other uh, medicines, and uh, we knew how to conduct this safely. So the first study was, was a, a dose-finding study, what we, that we call it. So we only enrolled people who had a lot of experience with uh, the use of psychedelics. If I remember correctly, most of them had uh, had experience with ayahuasca, if not all of them. It was a study uh, in six or eight volunteers. Uh, don't remember the, the figure exactly now. And we administered three different doses in increasing order. So we, we, we didn't tell this to the participants. We told them, okay, this is going to be totally random and there's going to be a low dose, a medium dose, a high dose, and a placebo. But the actual, this was to control expectancy. But uh, the actual design was that we would give the first the low dose, then the medium dose, then the high dose. So we did this gradually, and we measured uh, like the effects on heart rate, on blood pressure. We also did blood analysis before and at the end of the study, and we saw that uh, although we got some increases in blood pressure, these were were moderate. We didn't see. Was it during the experience? Yes, yes. We we because we, afterwards, no. Uh, well, we took uh, measurements all along the experience. So right before and uh, at, at different time points during the effects of ayahuasca until eight hours approximately after intake when the, all the effects had disappeared. So they came to the lab on four different occasions and uh, these were health volunteers. We had made sure when we enrolled them that uh, they complied with the definition of healthy volunteer like no problems uh, with heart, no problems with blood pressure, with cholesterol, no previous medical condition, etc. And when the study was finished, they left and we did a, a, what we call the uh, end of study uh, uh, blood analysis and everything was fine again. So that went, uh, went on uh, very well. We obtained psychoactivity, we obtained the initial data that we published in our first paper in 2001. We showed the ethics committee that we had been able to do this in a, in a safe uh, manner, that no, uh, no major problems uh, had emerged out of that, that uh, ayahuasca in this freeze-dried form could be safely administered in the lab, and that was our starting point Afterwards, we've uh, conducted many other studies with the substance, and uh, we've never had any any problems. So it can be uh, done safely in in laboratory conditions. And how long did it take you to get this study from when you can first conceived it until it was done? I I started my PhD in '96, so I went to this pharmacology department in our hospital in in '96. The, fir the, the first study, the pilot study uh, in healthy volunteers, we started at the beginning of 1999. So it was two years. And, uh, so that's fine. And, you weren't hindered in any way doing your research. Uh, well, I have to tell you that my supervisor was really interested 
in, in, in studying this. And he gave me a lot of liberty. So, yeah, you want to study this? So you'll see how you manage to do this. So this is a nice way to say that uh, I, 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 wasn't, I didn't receive much uh, actual support from the rest of the people in my, my department. And uh, uh, most of the faces were quite skeptical at the time. So uh, the other people working there were really like uh, reluctant or there had their, they had their doubts about whether this was feasible at all and also whether this should be done at all. Ethical. But the head of the department was for it. He supported me. And uh, he had this good reputation of many years doing uh, studies in humans. We got approval. We did it. We published it. We showed it. It could be done safely. And uh, I've seen a change in attitudes in this in this 20 years. It has taken a while. So because uh, you showed one of the slides you showed last night was from 2001, I think, and it had your name on it, and then it had the name McKenna on it. I'm guessing Dennis. No. Dennis McKenna, but this is a, this is a, a uh, article that we've published in 2016. Okay, so this it's is a, a new a re- one. It's a review, a okay. review article. All right. Yes, that we wrote uh, together. So how did you meet Dennis McKenna? Dennis McKenna, when did I meet him for the first time? Uh, I actually can't remember exactly. I think in 1996 there was a conference in San Francisco and uh, all the luminaries that had participated in this OASCA project in Brazil, including Dennis McKenna, uh, were there. And I think I, I met him for the first time there. And uh, over the years, we have this uh, email interaction. We've met at conferences. And uh, gradually, uh, we're not so many. Uh, there's not so many of us in, in this field. So there's uh, every time there's a conference going on, you meet... Uh, all of them. Not all of them, but uh, you have the chance to meet these people regularly. So there were not so many of these conferences 10 years ago or 15 years ago. But this last year, uh, I had a, like an Excel file with all my appointments. And in 2016, I have, I've presented uh, my uh, ayahuasca results at, I think, 13 different conferences. So uh, here in Stockholm, my... I have a, uh, like a directory uh, called uh, P for presentation P13 Stockholm. So, so it, the interest in, in, for, in, for this topic has, has exploded in recent years. So we are living through the, in cosmological terms, the inflation uh, process. Right? Like it's, it's, it's booming right now. So... Uh, yeah, I'm getting more and more interest. Uh, I think you're absolutely also right. Also from, from clinicians. So what, what, what took me to the field was actually to try to figure out what, what the mechanism of these substances is. That, that was my, my basic interest. And uh, have you originally. found that out now? I think we, we know uh, some aspects as to how they interact with the brain. But they are, they are simple molecules that produce very complex effects. So we only have a part of the whole picture. So I, I wouldn't say that I, I can entirely explain how they act. And I don't think anyone can, ex- can explain how they act. But we have a certain clue as to how these things work. And I think this is a, this is a so theme. what is it that happens? What is it that happens? Well, as simply as possible. As simply as possible, you have, uh, you have a modification of... Uh, 
the usual pattern in which the brain works. And uh, this uh, allows like uh, material stored in memory to emerge. For some reason, these, uh, these, these materials are uh, emotional memories. This can, uh, this can manifest itself in the form of visions. So you have activity in the visual cortex, you have activity in areas processing memory, you have activity in areas processing emotion. And uh, there's also uh, a decrease in, in the control that's being exerted by those areas in the brain that uh, are the conductors, to use a metaphor, in this orchestra. So you're usually uh, interpreting uh, reality based on your previous experiences. So you have like a sort of conditioning based on, on, on what your brain has experienced in, in the course of your lifetime. And suddenly you uh, switch off this mechanism of interpreting everything in an automatic fashion according to your preconceived ideas. Basically you're shutting down parts of the operating system. You're shutting parts uh, you're shutting down the governing parts of this, this operating system. And the lower parts in the hierarchy, all the different aspects that form your, your, uh, your, uh, your psyche and work in synchrony, perhaps start acting on their own. So you remain as an observer. You can observe your own psyche. You can observe these elements. And you start having access perhaps to information that was being suppressed and you start interpreting uh, inputs for inter from internal and external sources in a different way. So uh, this is very similar because I interviewed David Nutt a few weeks yeah. ago. This is similar to what he found when he was uh, doing MRIs on the human brain on psilocybin and LSD that uh, the what you call it DML network? Yeah. The DM network. Yeah. basically otherwise it would be a tautology hmm. uh, it, it sort of closes down and then everything has to uh, commute basically it's a democrat democratization of the brain <laughs> you get you strip the dictator of his powers yes. he's still there but he can't do anything and then the people have to figure it out together how it's yeah yesterday i was talking to uh, to alex uh, Liebedev, who works at, at karolinska and uh, we have a collaboration he's analyzing some data we, we have gathered uh, is he the, in an MRI scan. He's the guy who's doing the study on uh, psilocybin microdosing or LSD microdosing? I think he wants to conduct a study on, on LSD microdosing. Yeah. Oh, he should use me. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he says, uh, I'm analyzing what goes on after, after ayahuasca intake, and I see, but um, this is when the effects had already disappeared. But uh, in any case, he said, I, I find more variability in the signals that we are recording in the scanner, uh, more variability in the different networks that comprise uh, the activity of the brain as a whole. So in a way, you are allowing the brain to act in a less uh, constrict, constricted way when you are under the effects of a psychedelic. So... We are approaching how these substances work using different techniques, and each technique gives us uh, like a, a small bit of information of how 
this might be working. And this is like a piece in a puzzle. So we don't have the whole picture yet, but we are adding little by little this, uh, these pieces in, this miss in the missing spaces in the puzzle. So gradually we will be able to understand better, not perhaps completely explain what goes on in the brain under the effects or how is it possible that uh, these changes in brain biochemistry have such an, uh, a profound impact on what we consider our, our uh, private sense of self. So as I had this interest in, in, in also in how religious people interpret existence and the self and the presence of a soul, uh, I could use the metaphor that these substances interact with your soul, right? But, but for me, it's the demonstration that our soul is basically biochemistry. Otherwise, you would ingest any substance and you wouldn't see any changes there. So basically, so, what you're saying is if you want to meet God in a symbolic uh, sense, but I, in, a, in a symbolic sense, I, I would I would rather stick to the term soul if I have to move into the to the uh, religious the metaphysical realm. realm. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so, but if you, you what what happens is when you take away the personality, basically, uh, you experience uh, a oneness with everything. Isn't that true? I mean, that's one of the things that people report they experience on hallucinogens. I experience the oneness with everything around me. And when you take away the personality, that's what sets you apart from everything. So maybe th this was not such a frequent uh, occurrence in in the studies I've conducted with ayahuasca. It was it was more 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 personal, more more uh more emotional and more more uh related to to your to your life experiences, in in the words of uh, people who are uh, who are regularly attending these uh, these ayahuasca rituals, they, they say that they get confronted with their with their own problems and that you cannot run away from them. That it brings uh, that ayahuasca brings these these issues to their mind's eye, so they have to face them. They cannot run away from these these issues. I it. Very few people have expressed the idea that they become one with the universe. Maybe this is more common with other psychedelics. Maybe this, is a, this, Maybe. Could, this could be also the object of, of research. Maybe not all uh, psychedelics are created equal. Who knows? But uh, No, they're definitely not created equal but I, uh, from personal okay. experience. Okay. I can so, tell you. They so have different effects. So, yeah, st studying, uh, studying a substance that interacts with our soul and soul in quotes, I think it's interesting because it, it answers some, some philosophical questions as to what, what are we? We don't know exactly what we are. You open your eyes one day to this universe and you see two adults who say they, they are your parents and then they have expectations and you have to... They uh, sure do. And you, <laughs> you have to, to struggle and uh, meet their expectations and study and behave in a way or in another way and uh, maybe you reach adulthood and uh, you wonder uh, who you are actually yeah and many people are left with this existential question and this existential void so many people approach the use of these substances not to get away from reality but perhaps to answer this these existential questions and uh and for some people, this this uh, this uh, brings some relief. Yeah, and you. Uh, one of your studies actually showed a decrease in depression after taking just one dose of ayahuasca. Yeah, this is a collaboration study that we've conducted with a, a group in Brazil, and uh, we treated 
people who were um, resistant to the usual uh, pharmacological approaches, evil to, uh, to interventions such as electroconvulsive therapy. So nothing really worked for them. They were desperate. They were experiencing this existential void. Life was meaningless for them. So perhaps they they've con had considered uh, putting an end to their lives many, many times. So why not try whether ayahuasca having these potent effects on the on the psyche and perhaps providing some meaning to, to people's lives that could uh, exert uh, antidepressant effects and they, it actually did. So we had this initial study with only six patients. We gave a single ayahuasca dose. We used uh, standard measures of, uh, of uh, depressive symptoms and uh, just a few hours after ayahuasca intake, uh, this, this, uh, uh, these ratings in the, on the scales were lower than at the beginning. So you might think, okay, this is the high. So maybe you give also, I don't know, amphetamine to someone and they also feel happier and then you'll get these decreases in these rating scales. But the, the interesting part was that that was maintained the day after and the week after and three weeks later, they were still uh, more satisfied, happier with their life, with their existence, less depressed than they were at the beginning. And we have replicated this study with a larger sample. The results were, uh, were the same. And now I'm also collaborating with another ongoing study. We haven't finished it yet. And in this study, we, uh, we are doing, or we are using a more sophisticated design. So we are using a placebo. We have a control group. So we'll be able to see whether uh, it's just a suggestion or whether it's the effects of the it's of scientifically correct but poor these depressed fuckers they're going <laughs> in with hope that they'll be happier and you give them a placebo <laughs> but maybe if this works out and uh, we show that it's effective uh, we can offer this possibility to them let's hope they stay alive for that long well hopefully <laughs> hopefully it's a uh, it's not a like a life-threatening illness Oh, well, but, I, I'm fine with it. You yeah. said you didn't want to fix people. You were in it for the curiosity. So, In the beginning. But I must say, my, my view has changed. You now like helping people. Yes. You know, uh, after 20 years being in the field, a field that, uh, as, I, as I said, uh, uh, caused uh, people to look at you with, uh, with suspicion, uh, with this idea that perhaps this shouldn't be studied or with skepticism to uh, put it uh, mildly mildly uh, you have to be resilient to keep on working on this with all this skepticism around you so in the beginning it's curiosity maybe it's still the driving force but then you start hearing stories of people who informally uh, had very uh, uh, problematic uh, issues like uh, uh, addictive drug taking. People who were, uh, I know a specific case of a woman who was injecting heroin 15 times a day. She was living in uh, one of the uh, worst uh, areas around uh, Barcelona, I cannot even call it a, a neighborhood. It was really a rundown area, and she rapidly got infected with HIV, with hepatitis C. Uh, she had tried many uh, 
treatments to get rid of this heroin habit. Uh, she was also always relapsing. And um, she had reached a point where the next step for her was just to die of an overdose for all the acquired infections she was uh, suffering from. So she was being treated by a psychiatrist who knew about ayahuasca. He's a colleague who I've been interacting with for uh, 20 years now. And he thought that it might be a good idea maybe that she, uh, that, uh, that she tried this. And uh, she and other people were sent to Brazil. A clinic was organized there. Uh, the use of ayahuasca is legal in Brazil. So they went there. They had a series of sessions. They stayed for a couple of months. And this person was able to completely give up a heroin habit. And uh, like her, I know like uh, 20 cases that were, that followed this path. And uh, when you meet these people and they tell you that, uh, that this has helped them and that they are so uh, satisfied that someone is uh, looking into this and doing research in this field, then you think, okay, maybe all this, this effort, all this resilience, all these years of uh, having uh, skeptical faces staring at you have been worthwhile because these people can explain what has uh, happened to them and how it has helped them. But, uh, but uh, mainstream society and science won't pay much attention to that. Because this is one of the most important findings of your research is that uh, ayahuasca... Uh, reprograms the brain. So if you're high, if you're addicted to heroin or cocaine, your brain is wired yes. towards that reward. Yes, yes. Um, so uh, besides ayahuasca research or research on psychoactives, I've only I've also done research on uh, on addiction to uh, cocaine and also studies on on uh, the effects of cannabis, long term eff- uh, effects of cannabis. And uh, we did a neuroimaging... I'm a big fan of both, by the way. Okay, excellent. <laughs> you mean the studies? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, I'm glad you read them. So, uh, yeah, we, we did this neuroimaging study with 30 uh, uh, people who were diagnosed of cocaine dependence. Uh, they were in uh, treatment centers. They were, uh, they were clean. They had, uh, they had gone through detox. They were not taking... Any, any cocaine at the time of the, of the study. Uh, and the, we, do, we, did, we obtained these images of the brain. We assessed how the brain functions and how the structure of the brain uh, is in comparison to the, to the, the structure, structure and function of the brain of people who have uh, never used cocaine. And we saw that not only the way the brain works, like the software, the function is different, but the, the structure itself is different. And these changes in structure correlate with the amount of cocaine these people have taken in their life. So although we cannot infer causality, we can uh, very likely say that this is a consequence of the cocaine use. And what we see is that some uh, structures in the brain have increased in volume. There's more cells in those areas and they are more interconnected and these areas have to do with the processing of pleasure. So you are hardwired to look for rewards for something that has an hedonic value and connectivity outside this reward circuit 
is decreased. So these people get uh, focused on an, on a, on a basically on a single behavior, which is procuring the drug, procuring cocaine, and they are constantly relapsing. This is what I, what clinicians tell us. They say, okay, they come here, they detox, they t- they stay with us for three months. We try to accompany them when they go back into society, try to support them. But nevertheless, the vast majority we see again within a few months. They are back in. They have relapsed. They've taken again and they've started this vicious circle. So when I found these results in this study, I I thought, okay, no wonder. Because now their brain is wired in a way that they are... They are, they are uh, that it's it's programmed to re- repeat this this action on and on and on, and it's go- going ber- to be very hard to break this because it's not only function, it's al- also structure. And then you see uh, people who, after some ayahuasca sessions, have been able to completely abandon uh, this use of uh, of cocaine or heroin. So you 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 might think that ayahuasca has perhaps the possibility of rewiring the brain. And now we have done some in vitro studies. That means in, 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 a, in a flask. We, we, petri dish. Yeah, petri dish. We obtain some cells from, from, from the brains of animals. You culture them. These are stem cells. We have cultured these cells with the active principles present in the Banisteriopsis capi vine, in the ayahuasca vine. And we have seen that they promote the development of stem cells into neurons. In technical terms, this is called neurogenesis, or birth of new neurons. So in the adult brain of humans, new neurons are being generated in certain areas constantly through your lifetime. It's very few of them, but it's a topic of increasing uh, research interest to try to stimulate these areas where new neurons are being produced. So when you see in the lab these Petri dishes in this test tube, that the active principles of ayahuasca can stimulate the birth of new neurons, can increase the rate in which new neurons are being generated, and uh, they are being stimulated to to migrate and to incorporate into existing uh, circuits, neural circuits. Maybe this can explain why people that are hardwired to take addictive drugs are able to quit after a number of experiences with ayahuasca. So I think this is a tremendous finding. I think we were amazed when we saw this, and we are pursuing this this line of research. And uh, as I say, 20 years of underfunded effort, uh, skepticism around me, you don't expect much reward anymore out of satisfying your curiosity. And then when someone comes to you and says, I'm really grateful that you're doing this work because it's, it's helped me. And uh, if you can explain this to the scientific uh, community at large, I think this will benefit others. It will help benefit others. Then you feel a lot of satisfaction. So I think now, more than uh, publishing in a high-impact journal or thinking that someday I'll be able to have a, I don't know, a better post in my institution, whatever, I think, okay, now I know like 20 people who were in in the, the path leading directly to death really uh, leading normal lives, having families, being satisfied with life, having children. I I don't mean they have become uh, bourgeois, simply that they have become uh, uh, happy with their lives and they have found meaning after all. So 
this existential void has been filled. So I think this is a problem with many individuals. Yesterday, someone in the audience said, uh, perhaps people who have a tendency to reflect on life, he said it in terms of high IQ, experience this existential void and maybe they are more prone to depression. So I think many people in society might identify with this feeling. So uh, in some severe cases with in which this has led perhaps to autodestructive uh, patterns of behavior, ayahuasca has proved uh, effective. So now I'm, I'm more motivated than I was perhaps like 10 years ago when maybe this curiosity had decreased a little bit and I couldn't see any practical applications for ayahuasca. Now you see that people are, are getting some benefit out of it and that keeps you, uh, keeps you running because uh, there's no much uh, additional reward that you get by, by working on this non-mainstream uh, field of research. I can't speak for everybody, uh, but I'm glad you continue. <laughs> oh, thank you. And thank you for coming for, to Deconstructive Criticism. I could talk to you for another hour, but unfortunately your uh, chaperones want to take you away. Well, I'm very grateful for the invitation. It's been great to be here, and thanks for... Uh, your interest in our research. I hope I get to interview you again. Okay, me too. <laughs> Thank you.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.